This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Renegades. Today I'm speaking with Good Milk founder Brooke Harris, who is on a mission to keep it real with organic, truly nutritional plant milks made from the good stuff and nothing else. No chemicals, no binders, no fillers, and above all, no compromises. Brooke is so much fun, and I loved hearing her story, especially the fact that she grew up on a dairy farm and is now the founder of a plant-based milk company. I think that's amazing. But she's got a really great story, talking about the beginnings in the farmer's markets to moving into retail, and then how she fundraised and being really honest about what her fundraising experience was like. It was amazing talking to her and hearing about how the pandemic has made the business pivot and about how this pivot is really moving them into the future as well. I can't wait to share this episode with you. It's amazing. So let's go ahead and listen in. This is Brooke Harris, founder of Good Milk. Hey, Brooke, welcome to the show. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to hear your story. So let's start from the very beginning. What did you go to college for? What did you want to be when you grew up? Where did you start? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a fun question. I was just looking, thinking about this the other day because I just had a little girl and thinking about, you know, all the things I want for her when she grows up. And my actual first goal was to be an astronaut. So I've, I've, I've strayed a little bit from that, but we are trying to get one of our products on the space station. So uh, that's a whole other Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm from a very small town, grew up on a dairy farm, and kind of like the path was teacher, lawyer, doctor, kind of the basics. And as a kid, I became a, a vegetarian at the age of 12. Mm -hmm. very, very different and weird for that part of the country. And that kind of led me down this wellness journey and understanding food and how food interacts with our body. But I went to college for film, um, wanted to work in film and TV, kind of behind the scenes okay. in the producing, producing world, but always had a passion for food and wellness, just had no idea how you made a career out of that. I want to say that I just, I kind of relate to your story from the beginning standpoint where you're like, you were a farmer or you were a doctor or you were a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid. I loved the idea of that. I didn't know what careers were. Like you were either a teacher, you were a cashier at the grocery store, or, you know, maybe you were a firefighter. Like those were... I didn't really realize what was beyond that. I can really relate. So you went into something completely different. And how did that 
lead you towards becoming an entrepreneur in the end? Yeah. Well, the film world, like looking back and thinking about that world, it is very entrepreneurial in itself where you, yeah, know, you kind true. of have to be a self-starter and it, it is what you make of it. And I fell into kind of the, an assistant type role as most do. And the other thing about that world is it is like working in a startup as far as the hours and the workload. Right with maybe less of an impactful outcome, really, because it's film and TV. So So you were like almost getting prepared for it before even realized that you were getting prepared for it. Absolutely. And the chaos of that world actually kind of was part of the catalyst to my wellness suffering. And so was in that world, super chaotic, eating a lot of like grab and go type foods. I was um, plant based at the time. And I had come from, you know, middle of nowhere, New York State to LA, being plant based where there's everything you can like, you name it, and you can find a plant based version of it, right? So (laughs) was eating all of these processed plant based foods, not knowing that that was a bad thing thinking that, hey, it's plant based. So that means it's healthy. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And that caused some major digestive issues spent two years going to all these different doctors trying to figure out what's wrong. And at the end of it, it ended up being the processed plant-based food I was eating, but it was stuff that you would think was healthy, like the burgers or the chicken nuggets or my alternative milk. And so at the end of it was really surprised by what I found out, Um, started making a lot of those things like on my own out of whole food for myself. The plant-based milk was one thing that I couldn't give up. I was having it, you know, every morning in my latte or my smoothie or on cereal. And I literally just Googled how to make homemade plant-based milk. Almond milk specifically is what I was drinking at the time and did. I got a blender and the cheesecloth and did the whole process. And at the end was like, holy shit, this is delicious. (laughs) (laughs) so good I thought you were gonna say like holy shit this is so much work I can't do this every day totally not the reaction I was expecting (laughs) that was where I realized there was a problem because I'd make it you know it takes like two days to make because you have to soak and sprout the nuts and go through the whole process Uh and I'd make a jar of it and it would be gone within an hour because it tasted so good (laughs) so this is amazing. I'm never going back to the box stuff. However, it's a lot of work. And anyone, you know, I was younger at the time and didn't have a family and didn't have as many responsibilities. But anyone who had an ounce more responsibility than I did and didn't have that health motivation probably wouldn't do it for themselves. So realized that there was a problem to solve and wanted to take it out to the local community first. And that's what we did. And we launched first at the local farmer's market. Okay. First of all, I think it's amazing that you grew up on a dairy farm and then ended up launching this plant-based milk company, which is so cool. But talk to me a little bit about launching at the farmer's market. So you realized that there was a bigger thing to be done here. You know, it was a lot of work, but you wanted to turn it into a business. There's plenty of plant-based milk out there already. So the I'm not sure I would say that the space is so saturated when it comes to plant-based milk. What made you decide that this was really viable? You know, were you planning on selling it at the market forever? Because you've gone way past that. <laughs> yes, we have. And to be completely honest, it's not like I sat down and was like, here's my five-year plan for this, you know, I'll start the market and I'll grow it to this and I'll get investor money. It was really a simple mission of like, I wanted to make a product available to the local community and I wanted to 
you know, be able to survive off of that. And, you know, I think it's really beautiful. The farmer's market is a beautiful place to start a food product, but also being in this community in LA where there's so much opportunity and there's the energy of LA is just like constantly moving forward. And so I just said yes to every opportunity that came my way. And it serves you at a certain point in your business. And certainly in the beginning of the business, it did. And I just said yes to everything and started to grow that way and see different opportunities that I would have never thought of on my own. What does that mean? Like, what kind of opportunities are we talking about? Because how does someone identify an opportunity in the beginning that they should just say yes to? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it was examples like, okay, I knew I wanted to sell at the farmer's market and, and maybe some local stores as right. well, but was approached by a coffee shop chain and asked me to make a specific version of my product for them and said yes. And that's now led to one of the oh, biggest, that's cool. Yeah, it's led to one of the biggest parts of our business. When Amazon Fresh was delivering fresh locally, LA was one of the only cities they were doing that and we got to be a part of that. And that was a big source of early revenue for us that allowed me to like stabilize and grow the company. And were these people finding you because you were in the market? How were these opportunities finding you? Or were you looking for the opportunities? The opportunities in general is about 50-50. We, a lot of them came to us because, you know, you're interacting with all different kinds of people at the farmer's market. So like the coffee one came to us. The Amazon Fresh one, it was maybe me talking to another vendor at the farmer's market who was doing it. And so I looked into it and pursued it. But there's also a really great community that you start to build at that market. So when we first decided we were going to fundraise, I didn't know anyone that had money. I had never fundraised, didn't know anything anything about it or, like I said, anyone who would give me money. And I just started talking about it to my community at the farmer's market and just started making contacts and getting little pieces of help and little intros. And that's how we did our first fundraise. That's amazing. So what was the goal for the first fundraise? Were you looking to expand into more cities, open up your e-commerce shop? Like how much were you trying to raise and what did you want to do with it? Yeah, so we raised $500,000 or which at the time seemed like so much, so much money. (laughs) And we were going to scale. It was the first step in scaling the product. So when we were selling at the farmer's market, it was a fresh product that had a five day shelf life. Mm-hmm. So anyone who knows anything about food knows that that's not really scalable. Stores like Whole Foods don't take products with that short of a shelf life. You can't ship it. You know, there's a ton of logistics yeah. issues that um, that come up. And so I had had this idea to turn the product into concentrates and freeze them so that mm-hmm. we didn't have to add any of the weird ingredients that all the other alt milks have. Um, didn't have to pasteurize or add preservatives, but could use okay. the oldest method there is, freezing, to preserve it and then have these concentrates that we could then scale across the country. And so that's a little- so now it's really scalable and it's now really differentiated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's the time you r- want to raise, right? Is when you, right. <laughs> when you, when you kind of have proof of concept to a degree, we had proof in a smaller market and knew that there was interest in our end product and knew all the things about it and knew the market a little bit. And so Yes, you want to raise when you are ready to scale, and that's where we were. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's amazing. So what did you end up doing with that 500K? Where did that get you? Yeah, 
So we launched our first version of our frozen concentrates in what we call the B2B channel. So food service with a bunch of coffee shops and really went out to prove that coffee shops were interested in it and it would work. And we did and got our first distributors and really started to take the next steps to being a real business that is looking toward the future and scaling. Yeah, that's amazing. Where has Good Milk gone past that? Yeah. So we have some additional exciting product innovation. We've learned a lot with our frozen product in the market. We've scaled to over 100 cafe partners and are now have just launched in a new region in the Bay Area, San Francisco in the past few weeks. So that's been really exciting. But we also learned a lot from having that product in the market and being in the market and saw the things that it didn't solve. And so have created products that do solve all those problems. And so created the first ever powdered versions of the... What problem was it not solving that was like, we have to create the powder? Where was that disconnect? Logistics and accessibility, really. Like, especially now after we've gone through a pandemic, shipping costs have tripled. Labor costs have doubled or tripled. Really wanting to... The powder is an answer to a lot of problems, but the biggest thing is accessibility as far as shipping and logistics. Okay. Our products, it took us over two years to formulate these these powders that would were still homemade quality and would steam and foam the way our, our milks do because that's one of the beautiful things about it in coffee. It's an experience mm-hmm. like no other plant-based milk and it steams and foams really beautifully in coffee, which is why we've had such success with these specialty coffee shops. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That is awesome. I mean, it's not a pivot necessarily like you still have the first product but as you're moving forward in the market you're just seeing all these places where you can expand and do better and serve more at what point did it make sense to go into e-commerce Hey, it's Shauna here. I want to take a quick break from this amazing episode to send a free resource your way. Starting up is hard. Whether you're bootstrapping or you've got some funding behind you, you don't always know exactly where to start. I want to fix that. You head to startuprenegades.com right now. You can claim your free business benchmark blueprint. That's a mouthful. It's going to help you set a plan in place so you can create your foundation for growth. And it's free, so why not? Head to startuprenegades.com right now and grab yours. Yeah, well, it it became non-negotiable really when the pandemic hit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a channel that I personally had less knowledge on. I'm still learning. But we had always wanted to make the product accessible nationally. And if nothing else, to just get feedback of how anyone outside of LA was going to going to feel about the product. And so we got our direct-to-consumer site up, kind of, I like to say it was living, but it wasn't, we weren't, you know, spending money on ads. We weren't really supporting it and just were watching to see who came to the site and getting some good information. But then the pandemic hit and overnight, all of our coffee shops closed. So our, you know main main channel of revenue really 90% of the business's revenue closed and we were really lucky to see those customers who were buying good milk at their coffee shop every day came online and started buying off of our website i've seen that with, with other businesses that i've worked with in the marketing role where they had this retail product and e-commerce was kind of just you know hanging out in the background there and all of a sudden the pandemic happened and then just overnight they didn't have to market for it. They didn't have to, you know, go out and get traffic. Like they were just flooded and, and all of a sudden they had this incoming. 
That's an interesting way to grow. But talk to me a little bit about growth strategy. What have you done specifically in terms of marketing or growth that you've seen has been really effective in scaling up? Yeah, for us, really being, this is going to sound kind of silly, but being true to ourselves and the brand is, is the best way to gain visibility. Mm-hmm. We are storytellers. We are very mission driven. And I think our mission and the whys behind everything we do resonate with a lot of people. So what yes. we've seen is if we can get eyes, those eyes on what we're doing and give them the right information, they will buy the product and they'll stay with us. We have really, really high retention rates because customers fall in love with the products. And once they understand our values and we are giving them the information of why we do what we do, there's really nowhere else to turn. But logistically, how does that work out? Because you said it yourself, like getting eyes on it, like our our mission and why we do what we do. If we can talk to people about that. Are you blogging? Do you have PR going out? Like, how are you getting all this valuable information in front of the right people? Yeah, we've had to get scrappy because we are a small business and we're in the middle of the pandemic. And so we've done, we've really leveraged brand partnerships. Okay. You'll see in a few different ways. You'll see it on our website. There's some really cool collaborations with Intelligentsia Coffee or the Matcha Bar Hustle Team, or we just launched one with Equator Coffee. And so that's been really cool because our product's so unique and so great. It gives mm-hmm. us a little bit of leverage to work with these larger brands and create cool products. Also in things like social media giveaways or newsletter swaps with other brands and really knowing who our customer is and who their customer is and making sure that it's it's a fit for both sides. We do do some paid ads and that's a roller coaster on its own as you know. (laughs) But we see that once we have them kind of in our world and can get them information, then then we can retain them. Okay. I have to ask a hard question. What are your best tips for engaging in brand partnerships? Because I've had a bunch of people on the podcast who have said, like, that's been a game changer for us. And, you know, you said that your product is is unique, which is, is totally true. And it makes sense why they would want to partner in that sense. But brand partnerships can be really hard, especially when you're small and it's not necessarily, it's never going to be an even partner. Right. So how do you go about finding those or pitching those? Any good tips for us? Yeah, I think you have to look at, you have to be really clear on what you can bring to the table and what you you can't, you know, and for us, there is that unique product format that really helps. Mm -hmm. I think making sure the brands are aligned mission wise too, if you can speak founder to founder and your, your missions aligned, it might not matter how small you are because you know, as founders, we all want to help each other. And for us, the biggest thing is like moving this what we call this new wave of of food forward. And so any brand that is helping do that, no matter what their size, like, we're in it together. And so I think those founder to founder conversations help. And I think as you're thinking about building your brand and designing your brand, starting with a brand that's interesting and cool and stands for something like there's a lot to that, that I don't know if I can fully articulate, but it's something you can't fake also, right? A brand that has values and cool vibes. And I think that that really goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, you're even just kind of talking about differentiating yourself in another way by, you know, your mission, your values, by the way that you show up in the world. And that that definitely makes a lot of sense to me. So what is going on with Good Milk right now? 
we're in a really exciting time. Coffee shops are coming back and, you know, are starting to be busier than ever and new shops are opening. You know, we've tested our powdered products in the consumer market, direct to consumer, and we're about to launch some really revolutionary powdered products in our B2B channel for coffee shops that, like I said, solve all the problems we saw them having our best in class products and then also have this really big sustainability piece behind them, not just for being plant based, but cutting down like 90% of the packaging waste that these cafes are dealing with. Oh, wow. I love that. You're just mission driven all over the place. All right. I want to ask a hard question. It seems like you've had a lot of success in, in a short amount of time. You've really kind of nailed down some things that you've done right that, that have helped you kind of move and build relationships. Is there anything that you feel maybe you've done wrong or that you would do differently if you had the chance to do it over? Oh, of course. There's probably a million things, <laughs> million things that we have done wrong. And certainly in the moment, you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But it all it all leads to the lessons that you need to move on to the next phase. I think that for better or worse, like I said, how I started my business was just kind of go with the flow, like just put it out there and see what happens. And so when it came to fundraising, there's a lot of buzz in the world about fundraising. And it's this very glamorized thing. I didn't really know what it meant for the future of the business. And what I mean by that is when I did my first fundraise, I didn't realize that that meant that I was needed to be on a path to rapid growth and right. that I would have many more fundraises. <laughs> so, and there's not a lot of information out there for early stage founders. All you see is these, the headlines of this brand getting all this money. And then you see their billboards everywhere and you see all this accelerated growth, but there's a lot of layers to it and not a lot of, mm-hmm. not a lot of information. So any founder who is, thinking about fundraising, I'm always happy to take a conversation with them and just let them know the lessons that I've learned. Yeah, I think that's so great. You know, I I think that we hear a lot of times, I think some of the feedback that I hear the most from other founders is like, think really critically about who you want on your cap table, right? They're like in it for the long haul. There's all sorts of advice about how to fundraise and when to fundraise and how to build a pitch deck, but not necessarily about like what fundraising means for your business. Like you're not a small business anymore, right? Like the expectations are different. It changes how you show up in the world as the CEO. And I think that's, that's really, really great feedback. Thank you. <laughs> it's good for everybody to think about for sure. So tell me what being a startup renegade means to you. Yeah, I love that question and love the name of the podcast. <laughs> First of all, anyone who starts a business is amazing and a badass and also completely right? out of their mind. Um, but I think for me in my world, it means just constantly being able to look at things in a different lens and think outside the box. You know, we started Good Milk for a reason. There's a mission behind it and passion behind it. And I think mm-hmm. that's the new direction of the fa- founder and businesses. Those are the businesses that will succeed, not just starting a business to jump on the bandwagon of something that you think you can make money on because it's popular. And when you're mission-driven and doing something different, you really have to think outside, look through the lens of thinking outside of the box at every decision that you make. And there's a real responsibility to being a founder these days, especially a food food founder. Like it's not okay to just put anything out there where you're 
feeding people food has the biggest impact on, you know, the environment, the earth emissions. So I think there's a real responsibility to think differently and problem solve with a different lens. I love that. Thank you so much. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Absolutely. So we are, you can go to our website, goodmilk, G-O-O-D-M-Y-L-K dot C-O. And then on Instagram is where we're probably most active. And that's just at goodmilkco, one word. Okay, so I have to ask, because you mentioned Instagram. Have you hopped on TikTok yet? Are you guys on the TikTok bandwagon? We have a presence on TikTok. I personally, and you know, maybe this is like making me sound old. I personally don't really get TikTok. So we haven't fully invested in it. But um, we're probably not far from needing needing to hire some help on there. <laughs> okay, that's good to hear. I It's nice to know that I am not alone. All right. So definitely go check out goodmilk.co. Thank you so much. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Oh, 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 oh